Well, good morning and welcome to Riverside Church. Man, we are so glad uh, that you're here with us and we're in the room together. My name is Corey Trevathan and I'm one of the ministers here. And we want you to know, especially if you're first time here, uh, how, how blessed we feel that you're with us this morning. What you may not know is that we almost didn't have church today. Uh, there's no holidays today. There's no other special occasion. But Friday at 12, we were shut down because of a gas leak and there was no heat and up until almost 9 o'clock last night, we weren't sure what was going to happen. And by the grace of God and the good work of people like Doug Crow and Wilson Potter, we have heat this morning. Can we give them a round of applause? And Yeah. Let me tell you, we, staff, email, elders, we were all like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Wait, wait, wait. It's going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's going to happen. I've never negotiated peace in Iraq, but this was, I had to be the same. <laughs> we didn't know what to do. Uh, but we're so thankful that we had heat this morning. And we knew it was not perfect in every place, but thanks for bearing with us through that. And uh, we're glad you're here. We're glad in this room it's warm. We're glad we can be together and worship Jesus together today. It's going to be a great day. It already is. And I'm so glad that we can come together, even on a cold day like today, and gather together to worship King Jesus. It's going to be a good, a good morning. I also want to give a shout out and thanks to uh, Michelle Weber and John Glenn for building these, uh, these incredible little pillars or posts or columns, whatever you want to call them. Uh, if you missed last week, we're starting a new series uh, called uh, Re, Becoming the Church in the Here and Now. And last week we talked about uh, what it would be like if we as a church uh, prayed and asked God uh, to help us revision what this year could look like. What could be true of us 12 months from now that maybe not be, that's not true today? What if we were to fix our eyes and set our gaze on Jesus? What could happen in our midst? What could God do with us and do with this church? And uh, who are we going to be and who are we going to become uh, by the power and the grace of, of the Lord Jesus? And so that's where we started last week. If we could set our eyes and fix our eyes on Jesus, what would happen? And this week, we're going to kind of regroup a little bit and talk about what that means. And what I, what I asked you last week to do, and some of you did this, I've heard from some of you, I asked you to think about and pray about what, what that would mean for us. Like if we were to ask Jesus, who, who do you want us to be as an expression of your kingdom on earth? What do you want to happen here? I asked some of you to, to think about that and pray about that and dream about that. And I think some of you have. I've heard from some of you some of your ideas and some of the things that God's revealing to you, which I think is awesome and powerful. But what would be true of us? How could God work in this place if we were to ask him to come into this place, to come into our lives as a church and do something awesome and amazing? And what I really want to do over the next few weeks is kind of pull the curtain back a little bit and kind of let you hear and maybe even overhear some of the conversations that's been going on with our leaders and our elders and our staff as we've been talking about this exact same thing. Uh, many of you may not know this, but our shepherds and our staff meet, meet uh, several times a month to talk about Riverside, to pray about this church, to dream about what could be true of us, to ask God to, to help you and to help us and to bless us and to work among us. And over the course, I've been, I've been on staff since October of last year, and over the course of these last few months, I've gotten to, to be a part of that and hear some of that. And, and, and what's been happening and what I've just really loved is to hear the heart that our shepherds and our leaders have for you. And if you don't know that, let me, let me just say that. You are loved. Uh, yeah, you're loved by God, but you're loved by the leaders and the elders of this church. You are loved and you are cared for deeply. Sometimes you may feel that, sometimes you may not, but it doesn't change the fact and the truth that I want you to know is true. You are loved by these, by these men, by their families, by their wives. You are loved for deeply. And one of the things that's happened over the last few months that I've been around is there's been two or three words that have kept kind of rising to the top, 
kind of, kind of being, kind of rising to the surface as we've talked and prayed about what does God want to be true of us. And one of those things, the good news is I don't think any of these will surprise you. But one of the words that, that's kept coming up for us is this word, discipleship. Now, if you've been around here at all for any length of time, you've heard us talk about being a disciple and what it means for us to be disciples and what does discipleship mean and look like. We've talked about it in classes. We've talked about it in this room. We've talked about it in small groups. We've talked about it a lot. What does it mean for us to be modern day disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's one of the things that I think that we would all agree on. This is important. And we want this to be true of those of us who, who follow Jesus and belong to this local expression of the body of Christ here at Riverside, that we are committed disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what I wanna do for today and, and, and next week too is talk about that a little bit. What does that mean? What does that look like? What, what's true of us if we are to be disciples of Jesus, if we're gonna follow him together in this way? Um, when I was uh, in college, I got the opportunity to, to, to go on a trip with other college students and some teenagers uh, in Colorado on a thing called Wilderness Trek. Any of you know what Wilderness Trek is? Hands, there you go. So some of you, a lot of you know what this is. Some of you don't, that's okay. Our own Bob Harris, one of our members and elders, is heavily involved and works for Wilderness Trek. It's an incredible, incredible experience. And so what we did was we, we drove to Colorado and when we arrived, we arrived there at sort of, you know, headquarters for Wilderness Trek. And what you're told is you're going to have to load this, this backpack up with about 40 or 50 pounds of supplies because over the next week, you're going to hike a mountain in Colorado, like a really, not a hill, like an actual mountain, 13, 14,000 feet. You're going to hike this mountain together. And so you pack your food, your tent, your sleeping bag, everything you're going to possibly need over the course of a week as you traverse this mountain. And every person in your group has got a backpack, uh, like you'll see on the screen here, about 30, 40, 50 pounds that you've got to carry as you hike up this mountain. No small thing. This is a big deal. And so we all get geared up, we all get loaded up, we all get saddled up with these backpacks, they strap you on you like five different ways so you can carry the weight, and you begin to go up the mountain. And what you learn really quickly is that this is more difficult for some than it is for others. And some of you are like, yeah, that would be hard for me. Some of you are like, ah, I got that. You know, your athletes are all strong and proud, and it seems like they can leap small mountains in a single bound, and they're flying up the mountain. And then other people are in the back, and they're struggling. They're, maybe they're not as strong or as big or as able, and they're having difficulty. And the whole way, you've got trail guides. And what they're preaching to you, they're beating this, this message like they're beating a the drum, that, hey, we, we climb this mountain together. And we only summit the mountain when we summit the mountain together. And so everybody's got to go together. And if, if someone is, is struggling, we got to help them out. If someone's ahead, you got to wait. we got to go up this mountain together. And as the week goes on, what happens is really amazing in the sight of this group of people. What happens is everybody starts buying into this idea that we're going to make it to the top of this mountain and we're going to do it together. And so some of your stronger, stronger people start taking stuff out of the backpacks of some of the other guys that are girls that are struggling more and they put their load in their pack and everybody starts holding back and they start holding hands as they go up the mountain. And then you finally get to mid camp then you finally get to the high camp and then the guy tells you, okay, we're going to bed early tonight and you're glad to hear that because you are wiped out. But we're gonna wake up in the middle of the night while it's so, still dark and we're gonna summit this mountain together before the sun rises. And so we do. And they wake us up. It's like 3 a.m. You just grab your little day pack because you don't need much at this point, just some water and some snacks. You grab a muffin and you start going up in the middle of the night, only by the, the light of the moon and the stars, if it's a clear night, to the summit of this mountain. 
and you get to the top and you're sitting there and you're waiting. And I don't know if you've ever seen the sunrise when you're on top of the mountain. It's kind of spectacular because when you're at that point, if, if, you're, if you're at that elevation, what happens is there's not really much for the sun to rise over. So it's like one moment there is no sun, the next moment it's just the sun and all of its glory. And in that moment, when we saw that sight together, and we experienced that week together, and we were on top of the mountain together, and we saw the sun come up, in our group, worship just broke loose. Like we began to sing and praise God, and we were in awe and wonder. But what, was, what made the experience even more amazing is that we were there together. And what we learned that week was a truth. It was a metaphor for our lives, but it's a truth we'll never forget, that we we climbed the mountain together. We were made to climb the mountain together. Like to do that alone would, might be possible for some, but it wouldn't nearly be the experience of being there together, having, having summited the mountain as a group, ha- having carried each, other, each other's burdens, having walked together those trails and, and arrived at the summit together. And we learned this truth that we were made, we were made to summit the mountain, to climb the mountain together. And I think this is something that we all know is true. If you've ever had to go it alone in any area of your life, you've probably experienced this. In fact, I would, I would wager that this is probably true of you. That probably the lowest points in your life, the times that you were most miserable and you felt the worst, that your lowest points, those are probably the times in your life that you were the most alone. And the reason for that is you weren't made to do life alone. We were made to do life alone. Together, And some of you even came in this morning and you're sitting in a room filled with loving people. And I don't know who you are, but you know who you are. In this moment, you, you may feel like you've never felt more alone. And the reality is, is you probably are alone. And you're not alone because no one cares. You're alone because no one knows. You're alone because you haven't shared with anybody your struggles or your situation or what's going on in your life or or what you've lost or who you've lost. No one knows what you're addicted to. No one knows what's going on in your family or at your work. Nobody knows. And so it's not that no one cares, it's that no one knows. And, And if you could share what you're going through with the people around you, you'd find out that they love you and they're there for you. But the truth is this morning you're here and you feel like you've never been more alone. And this is, I believe, this is just me talking, that this is part of the problem of what we've adopted in our theology as American Christians. Is we have emphasized over and over and over again how important your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is. And that's true. Like, don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't know how you can follow Jesus and not talk to him. I don't know how you can follow Jesus and, and not read his word. I don't know how you can follow Jesus and not worship his name. I don't know how you can, how you can claim to follow, be a follower of Jesus Christ and not spend any time, any personal time with a man. So I get it. But at the same time, I don't know how you can be a follower of Jesus. I don't know how you can call yourself a Christian and neglect his church. I don't know how you can claim to, to be a follower of Jesus and not, not be a part of a church. In fact, what's popular these days is to not belong to a church, just to church hop, to wake up and to go to whatever church you want to, to date a church, maybe go to a church for a long time, but never place membership at a church. But the problem is I see it as... The way Jesus describes the church is the church is his body. The church is his bride. And if you're not a part of the church, you're not a part of his body and you're not a part of his bride. The church is important to Jesus. And I think it's important to Jesus because you're important to Jesus. And he knows that we were created for him, but we were also created for each other. 
And when you belong to a church, then you belong to his body. And when you belong to a church, you belong to his bride. And the church was, was made, was created to be a group of people who follow hard after Jesus together, who love each other, who care for each other. The church, that's those people who, who stay up and show up when crisis is. The church, that's those people who would run into the burning building that is your life like a firefighter into a house of flames to rescue you when you're in trouble. Who wouldn't want to be a part of a church like that? I know I would. But the problem is we've adopted this philosophy and this idea and this theology that says what's most important is your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think Jesus would look at us and say, no, no, you've missed it. At least you've missed half of it. Because the way I read scripture and the one, where I want us to go this morning is this idea that Jesus never called you to follow him all by yourself. That's not his call. That's not his invitation. That's not his message. That's not his heartbeat. That's not how you were designed or created. So if, if you've been tracking with us, we've been walking through Luke and his gospel and how he talks about Jesus. And, and this morning we're going to look at Luke 5. So if you've got that, if you want to turn your Bible on or open it up or however you do that, Luke 5, we're going to dig in, starting with verse 1. And what we're going to read is the story of the first time Jesus called his disciples. And what I want you to notice is that he didn't call a disciple, he called disciples. He didn't call someone, he called someones. He didn't call him, he called them. He called people together to follow him. And this is an amazing story. It's, it's in Luke 5, and it starts in verse 1, and it says this. One day Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. So stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. Now can you imagine this scene? Like there are so many people who are coming to hear Jesus teach and preach that literally the guy can't stand on land anymore. Like they're pressing in so much. There's so many people. He can't even see them all to speak to them all. So we asked this guy named Simon, this fisherman, can I get in your boat, push it out in the water a little bit so I can get a little distance so I can see everybody, so I can speak to everybody. Everybody, Jesus is attracting everybody, sinners and saints, those who know him, those who don't. Everybody in the world is coming to hear Jesus because they want to know what he has to say. They want to see this rabbi that they've heard about and hear what his heartbeat is. Hear what his message is. And the story goes on. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. So now Jesus is done teaching. Now he wants to teach the fishermen how to fish. Now you remember Jesus is a carpenter and he's an emerging rabbi. Those two don't really go together, but that's who he is. And now he's going to become this world-class fisherman. Master Simon replied, the expert in the world of fishing, We worked hard all last night. And we didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. Now this is where I think the story is unbelievable. Jesus gets in the boat. He says, let's down your nets. And what happens? Jesus is once again proving the point, isn't he? That when we get in the boat with Jesus, he's going to do more in us and through us than we could ever ask or imagine. If we would simply together get in the boat with Jesus, what in the world would happen in this place? And I don't know, but I get excited about it. Verse 8, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. 
I am too much of a sinner to be around you. In this moment, Peter realizes what just happened, that's not normal. What just happened, that was miraculous. That was of God. And when you get in the boat with Jesus, if you've ever been in the boat with Jesus, you know this is true. You have these moments where Jesus does more in you and through you and around you than you could ever ask or imagine, and you fall on your face just like Peter in worship. Verse 9, he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were others with him. And his partners, he's not alone, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be fishing for people. And then verse 11, and hear how Luke says this. As soon as they landed, Peter, James, and John, they left everything. They left everything. And they followed Jesus. When Jesus called his first disciples, he didn't call Peter. He called Peter, James, and John. He called them to follow him together. This is what Jesus does. This is the invitation of Jesus for us to together follow him. Best I can figure, Jesus did ministry on three or four levels. See if you can track with this. You you may have better insight, but I know this from, from reading the gospels that Jesus taught the masses. He taught the crowds. He taught people came from all over to listen to him. But then he also taught a smaller group than that, but larger than the 12, a group of disciples. So when Jesus gets together on the Sermon on the Mount to give this, this, this famous sermon, Matthew says in in chapter five that his disciples came to him to hear him teach. And Luke says before that same sermon or one like it, that that his disciples gathered to hear him teach. It was more than the 12, but it it was a larger group of people. And even later in Luke, we're gonna read that Jesus is gonna send out 72 of his disciples to announce that the kingdom of God is near. So there's the masses and then there's the crowds, but then there's this other group, a large group of people who are his disciples. But then as you know, there's the 12. And these were the men who followed Jesus as disciple and rabbi. I mean, they lived with the guy. They did life with the guy. They walked with the guy everywhere he went, they went. Where he slept, they slept. They wanted to be as much like their rabbi in every way as they possibly could. They were disciples in the truest sense of the word, and he was their rabbi in the truest sense of the word. But even inside that group of 12, there were three. And who were they? According to Luke, they were the first disciples Jesus ever called, Peter, James, Jesus never, ever called anyone to follow him by himself or by herself. He always called us to follow him together. So this morning, the question I want to ask you is, are you following Jesus with anybody else? Or are you trying to go at this alone? I have a friend back in Atlanta his name is Glenn, and he leads, um, he leads a 12-step ministry program called Across the Bridge. It's a, it's, a, it's a ministry for those who've been caught up in addiction. And so this week, as I was kind of thinking and praying about this thing, I, I just felt like I needed to reach out to Glenn because I thought he's an expert on this kind of stuff. And so I sent him an email and said, hey, Glenn, I have a question. What I want to know is this. Can people who struggle with addiction, can they climb that mountain by themselves? Can they get out of that on their own? You're an expert, you've, you've lived this, you've, you've done this, you've helped people. Tell me, is it, is it even possible? I wanna read you just a part of the email that, that Glenn sent back. He said this, Glenn said, when trying to recover from addiction, we definitely need each other. This is why a sponsor is recommended. 
We need to be able to call on each other, especially in the moments of darkness that recovery has. We, of course, become the hands and feet of God to touch another human when we feel like God is distant. Glenn said, in my own recovery, in the beginning stages, I needed folks to help me find the way. My way was not working, and I needed some life guides to help me. And then he said this, I love this. As we help addicts recover through our encouragement, love, and support, we make sure we don't shoot our wounded even when they relapse. Rather, we continue to love and support them. We never give up on each other because as you so know, God never gives up on us. I know Glenn is describing Across the Bridge, a 12-step program for those caught in addiction, but man, oh man, I wish he was describing the church, don't you? A group of people who love each other, who care for each other, who are committed to each other, who even when they feel like God is distant, the church is the the hands and the feet of Christ to reach out and to touch them and to remind them that he's close. A a group of people who love and care for each other. So even even when, when, when you relapse, even when you find yourself in the middle of the mess again, even when you feel like you're caught in sin again, the church is the one place you feel safe and you don't feel judged. In fact, you feel like you can go because you need to be around people who love you no matter what. Isn't that who we're called to be? Oh, come on. This is it. This is the whole gospel. This is it. That we together love each other enough that we become to each other the love, the hands, the feet of Jesus of Nazareth. You see, this is what I believe. As I've thought and prayed about this all week long. I believe groups matter to Jesus because you matter to Jesus. And I truly believe, and you, you may push back on this, but just hear me out. Here's what I think may be true. That we will, we will only have as many disciples in this church as we have people involved in a small group. That we will only have as many disciples in this church as we have people involved in some kind of small group because we follow Jesus better when we follow him together. And in fact, if we don't follow him together, we may not be following him at all because as far as I can tell, no one ever followed Jesus by himself. We were called to follow Jesus together. We need each other. You can't go it alone. There's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. There's no such thing as someone who loves Christ but doesn't love the church. The church is his body. The church is his bride. And what Jesus wants for you and for me is to belong to his church. And even more than that, what I believe he really wants for you and me is for us to find a group of of people who love Jesus, who are following hard after Jesus, and for us to belong to a group like that. You see, groups matter. Groups matter to marriages. Man, our marriages need groups. Husbands, we need other husbands who, who love us and love our wives and who have our back and who encourage us and hold us accountable. And wives, I don't know, but I think it's true that you need each other too to love you and to support you and to encourage you. How many marriages could be saved if those marriages were involved in a group of people who were passionately following Jesus together, praying for each other, loving each other, helping each other through good times and bad? Man, they matter because we need them. And our children, our children need them. I don't know about you, but for me and Alicia, one of our things, what do we want? We want as many God-loving, Jesus-following adults involved in the lives of our kids as humanly possible. 
We want as many people we can surround them with who can model for them. What does it look like to be a man who loves Jesus and follows Jesus? What does it look like to be a woman who loves Jesus and follows Jesus? We want to put as many of those people as humanly possible in front of our children so that they'll grow up and they'll know what it looks like to be an adult, to be a man, to be a woman, to be a teenager who loves Jesus of Nazareth. Teenagers, I think groups matter for you. I know today launched my pods. I could be more excited for you guys. Man, how, how do our teenagers hold on to relationship with Jesus when they're in middle school and high school? How do you guys hold on to your purity in our culture when you're in middle school and high school? I'll tell you how you do it. You get involved with a small group of people who love Jesus as much as you do, or maybe even more. And they love you and they hold you accountable and they encourage you and they pray for you and they help you in the good times and bad. And when you relapse, they don't judge you, they help you through it. Man, groups matter. Groups matter. We need each other. We cannot do this life alone. And I'll say it again, I really believe it's true. We only have as many disciples of Jesus as we have people involved in small groups. And so this is what I want you to think about. Is it time to regroup? It's a great, it's a, it's a new year, it's a new start, it's a chance to do something over again. Is it time for us to regroup? Uh, in just a couple of weeks, we're going to be relaunching our small group ministry. And Jason Graves is heading this up, and a lot of you know about it already. We're going to be relaunching these small groups. And, and my personal desire, I'll just kind of tell you in my heart for a minute, what I would hope would be, would be true of Riverside in 12 months from now that may or may not be true today is that 100% of our people are involved in small groups in one way, shape, form, or fashion, somehow, somewhere, some way. And maybe, maybe what needs to happen for you, especially if you're feeling a little distant from God, especially if you're feeling a little alone, is for you to find a way to be part of a group. And maybe if you're a guy that, that, that wants to be a part of a group of guys, maybe you get together for breakfast one morning a week and you pray and you read and you encourage each other before you go to work one day a week. Maybe if you're a mom, you join a mom's group and you do it over lunch one day a week where you come together and you pray for your kids, you pray for your family, you, you talk about God, you encourage and you support each other. Maybe, maybe you start a home group in your home that meets on Sunday nights or Tuesday night or on Thursday night. I don't care. Maybe it happens once a month, twice a month, four times a month, five times. I don't care. The point is we need each other. And we follow Jesus better when we follow him together. So how are you going to do this together? Let's stop going it alone. Let's come together and let's follow Jesus. And if you want to start a group, man, let us know. Let Jason know. Man, we'll we'll sign you up. We'll get a group going. But here's what has to happen. I believe for us to be disciples and for discipleship to be true of this church is we all have to find a way, make a way for us to do life together. This is how Jesus modeled ministry for us. And if we claim Jesus as our Lord and Savior, don't we want to follow his example and follow his lead? We follow Jesus better when we follow him together. Church, would you stand with me? So my encouragement to you is that you would prayerfully consider how you can be involved in following Jesus with a group of people who are following Jesus. Would you this week give some thought and some prayer to what that means for you as an individual, what that means for you as a family, what that could look like this year? And I know that we're not perfect and our groups won't be perfect. I know that groups are filled with people and people are messed up. (laughs) I get that. But I do believe this, that if we follow Jesus together and if we pray together and we encourage each other and read his word together, something powerful could happen in the lifeblood of this church if we would simply 
give our lives and our hearts to following Jesus, not just on our own, but if we regroup and we follow him together. Let's worship.